Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. Inspired by the mission, 7 billion fulfilled people, I track down the greatest thought leaders on the planet and interview them about happiness and fulfillment. Today I'm speaking with Joe Quirk. The Seasteading Institute believe that experiments are the source of all progress. To find something better, you have to try something new. But right now, there's no open space for experimenting with new societies. So they're working to enable seasteading communities. And these are basically floating cities which will allow the next generation of pioneers to peacefully test new ideas for how to live together. Joe is the president of this institute, as well as the co-founder and managing director of Blue Frontiers. He's the co-author of the book Seasteading, How Floating Nations Will Restore the Environment, Enrich the Poor, there it is, Cure the Sick, and Liberate Humanity from Politicians. I'm sure people love that last line. Liberate, yes. liberate humanity from politicians. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it kind of goes restore the environment. Wow, that sounds good. Uh, cure the sick. I wonder how that's going to happen. <laughs> Enrich the poor. Okay, I care about that. Liberate humanity from politicians. People are like, yes, I, you know, that's what I care about. It's, it's the panacea. Funny. It's literally, it's the, it's, the, uh, it's the magic pill. Joe, thank you so much for being here. This is, um, I said just before we click record, um, I am very excited about this one. It's been a, it's been a fun one to learn about. Yes, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of this. and I really appreciate what you do. Now, the world needs a place where those who wish to experiment with building new societies can go out and test their ideas. Why, why is that important? Well, it, it, you could think of it as a Silicon Valley sensibility brought to the problem of governance. So if you think the source of solution is startups, uh, and you know, I use the analogy uh, of uh, Steve Wozniak, you know, Steve Wozniak, he worked for Hewlett Packard. He was in this big conglomerate and he loved Hewlett Packard and he was loyal to Hewlett Packard. And he had this idea. He designed the personal computer uh, and he presented it to his superiors at Hewlett Packard five times. And he was rejected five times and he was loyal. He loved it. But in despair, he just sort of left and founded his own company with his buddy, Steve Jobs, who called it Apple. And then that, those designs became the designs for the personal computer. So if he couldn't leave Hewlett-Packard, and no one in Hewlett-Packard could imagine why individuals would need computers. It didn't make any sense. What are they going to do with them? They're not coders. Um, so if the seasteading is like, where will the Wozniaks of governance go? You know, you and I are in go uh, government systems founded in previous centuries, uh, you know, Ben Franklin helped design my uh, government. He also helped design electricity. And, you know, electricity has just, by being decentralized and lots of people can try things, it's just proliferated through everything we do. It's, it's, it's involved with what our conversation. It's all over the world. There's, ben Franklin couldn't have imagined the light bulb. But the parameters by which my government works, you know, we're written with quill pens when information traveled at the speed of a horse. There has been no updates and we can't imagine what could be. Right. But the world is full of innovators there. It's full of people that have proposed ideas for how we could govern ourselves and they need a space to do it. So I think of Seasteads as platforms that you can sell like hotcakes to people where they can bring their own business model and their own governance structure and experiment with different uh, governance structures. And all that matters is that people can create them voluntarily, choose them voluntarily, and the crucial mechanism is they can leave them voluntarily. Yeah. Now that would create a, a market of governance uh, and these different systems would be completing to attract people. And you'd go out of business 
if you didn't please people and you'd prosper if you did. Those people could detach if they didn't like it. They could attach if they do like it. So this would be variation by governance, selection by residence. This would be the this is the recipe of evolution unleashed in governance itself. And it's entirely doable if we look at the cruise ship industry. And cruise ships are essentially self-governing, de facto self-governing, floating islands. So the proposal is what if they never docked? What if they were in international waters permanently? Uh, would the United Nations recognize them? And I think the answer is yes. And, and it's interesting because that whole idea of like just attach, go somewhere else, that's not, that's not a metaphor. You actually did a video called um, Why is Floating Better Than Voting? And actually saying like seasteading allows people to literally vote with your house. If you don't like something, literally detach your house and you can move somewhere else. So that's I mean, it's fascinating. Yes, if you can link up with who you wanted. You know, the it's like individuals aren't good at choosing how everyone else should be governed. But if you decentralize the, the choices, which is what Blue Frontiers plans to do, both in finance and in the – we're going to decentralize the very ground beneath our feet. Then you sort of engage the global brain and you have lots of ideas competing to produce all this – You know, the wonder of this microphone couldn't have been designed by one person. It had to be lots of people competing to choose the best ideas that end up intersecting and creating this microphone. And we want to do the same thing in governance. We can solve the problem of governance, but it's not going to be done by voting for the best politician. It's going to be by unleashing innovation and choice among the people governance is supposed to serve. January 2017 was a historic moment. I guess that, would you say that marked a transition from this is a really neat, this is a cool <laughs> idea to this is actually happening? To anyone who doesn't know, why, what happened in January 2017? I actually call 2017 year one of the aquatic age. And that's when seasteading stopped being an idea and became a practical project and a business was born to build the first seastead. So seasteaders had to confront the fact um, we had a lot of people interested. We have every, had every kind of volunteer and professional, every kind of expert you'd need to build society from the water up. We had them. Uh, we had investors that were interested in, in creating startup societies. The problem is it was unreasonable to ask people to make the jump to the high seas and build something the cost of an oil rig. It's just too much risk. It's, it's unreasonable for invent, uh, investors. It's, 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 um, it's not incremental. So we, we realized we had to use existing technology, both engineering and legal. So the engineering technology is the floating pavilion in Rotterdam, which is totally sustainable. And the legal technology is special economic zones, of which there are more than 4,000 that have spread across the world because they're so successful. And I think of them as legal islands created within countries, creating special exemptions to rules. And they've been so successful, there's like 4,500 special economic zones. So we wanted to go to coastal countries that had uh, special economic zones already on the books. And we were going to say, we have a design for even more freedom uh, called a sea zone. And if you guys can legislate us uh, significant regulatory and tax autonomy in your territorial waters, we don't even need your land. We'll bring our own land uh, and we'll absorb the cost of failure. If, if we fail, that's on us and we fail publicly. But if we succeed, prosperity will be shared locally with the local entrepreneurs, the people on the shore. Blue Frontiers, the company I'm about to uh, uh, talk about, uh, has committed to 25% of the spaces on our initial seasteads will be people from the host country. So 
this, the, the start for finding a host country that's willing to let us do this began. And we were in talks with, you know, probably between a half dozen and a dozen coastal countries. Uh, we couldn't really close a deal on the uh, on on the, the radicalness of what we were proposing, which is significant autonomy in territorial waters, until um, Mark Collins, uh, an entrepreneur and former minister of tourism in French Polynesia, reached out to us and said, "You know, French Polynesia is perfect for what you guys want. It has every type of um, natural wave breaker from lagoons to atolls." Um, it's got very shallow waters ve next to very deep waters. It's got protected waters. You can experiment at every level. We have a tradition of seafaring, which is essentially seasteading, going back thousands of years. We've been navigating among islands. People totally get choosing islands. Um, and they had uh, you know, four special economic zones that they'd also already put into effect. And it was in January uh, 2017 that um, – you know, high-level members of the government flew to San Francisco and met with us and signed a memorandum of understanding with the Seasteading Institute, uh, basically permitting us to go to French Polynesia, meet with the government leaders, meet with the various businesses that are pushing forward what they call the blue economy. They're already thinking about this. And then running a, 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 an environmental uh, impact study, a um, uh, an uh, economic impact study, which predicts uh, hundreds and even thousands of jobs as we scale this up. And uh, we got to hire the people who built the floating uh, uh, project in French Polynesia. I mean, uh, in, uh, in Holland, in Rotterdam, yeah. Uh, the floating, floating pavilion. And those very guys are designing our seasteads. Uh, and then we got to hire the guy, partner with the guy who makes uh, the sea zone, <laughs> uh, and he's designed a Z-Zone, and this is like uh, on the desk in French Polynesia. And so we're kind of awaiting uh, approval, and the situation we're in now, we're kind of on the edge of our seat, is we're waiting for an island mayor to say, I want this in my jurisdiction because, you know, this is an answer to sea level rise, and it'll provide prosperity to my people. And that's the key, that's the key angle, is that this is a bottom-up, answer to sea level rise and affordable mm. that was that was something um, that definitely came through in, in watching the videos and and learning about it it didn't feel like i don't know big boys with lots of money coming in and, in, and imposing their ideas and like, we're going to do this it seemed like like a dialogue and it seemed like it, it was as much excitement from uh from the host country from the french polynesians coming out with ideas like the design is it was back and forth and i was, I was watching some of the stuff and it looked cool because it was like because this is this is a genuine fear with with the global warming with the sea level rises. How can how can we think you know potentially bringing all this amazing new technology of how we can actually create these platforms? And so it, it, it seemed like a, a win win for everyone involved. It seemed really exciting. Yes, I think of it as a, as a win win win. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, if you if you're worried about sea level rise and and island nations definitely are i mean french polynesia is worried they could lose a third of their islands by the end of this century and uh, they have 118 islands and they control an area of ocean the size of western europe and one one thousandth of it is land so that's that's the maritime culture they're in you know they're very intimately involved with the water and and some of the islands are are definitely facing uh uh inundation and the people who are there are aware of it so do you want to get some big government to spend, you know, trillions of dollars to solve this somehow? Or do you want to empower those people 
to use existing technology to slowly transition into being floating islands. Hmm. Um, the technology already exists. Uh, and so the, the, the French Polynesia represents this sort of uh, confluence of sort of Western technology with Polynesian traditional wisdom. If you go and look at how the initial, the first seasteads have been designed, they're, they're in the shape of the uh, Polynesian traditional canoe, which they use to traverse thousands of miles with no compass, no writing, no mathematics. It was all intuitive knowledge. And they developed many of the same technologies as the West uh, in parallel. Um, and it's in the, the islands in the shape of a fish hook, which is what the demigod Maui used to pull islands uh, up out of the ocean in their mythology. And they actually have an island called Mokulana, which is a mythical floating island that was like a better world. Uh, uh, Pacific Island nations have this legend. Hawaiians are very familiar with it. So we're, we're kind of putting together all these, uh, um, you know, uh, the, biomimicry, uh, the Biomimicry Institute has partnered with us. They're in French Polynesia. And they're all about learning from nature's designs. You know, nature has already discovered most of the technologies we need. We just have to learn them and imitate them. So we're working on that as well in all sorts of ways, light bulbs filled with bioluminescent algae, all, all sorts of beautiful stuff. It's amazing what they're working on. So this, I think of this to get poetic as you can think of this as the global brain, this thing, this creative thing we're trying to unleash by getting it out of the monopolies of governance. And you can think of French Polynesia, which is right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right in the middle of the blue frontier. I think of that as the corpus callosum, the bridge between the right and left hemispheres of the brain, which is like the analytical science-based worldview that is dominated in the West and coming across the ocean. And meanwhile, unknown to most of the world, traveling across the Pacific Ocean from island to island was this intuitive cellular-based uh, set of knowledge that allowed them to travel and meet you know, European explorers and, you know, wondering, like, how do you look at this little compass and know where to go? I don't get it. And the European explorers are going, how do you just look at reality and know where to go? I, and, you know, it can't be explained. It's like I grew up with it since I was a kid. I got it from my parents. I feel the water. I look at the birds. I smell. I, I look at the glint. I remember what my grandmother told me. And I know there's got to be an island a thousand miles that way. <laughs> Two weeks, straight line, I'm going to find this little tiny thing. Like <laughs> This was mystifying to the West, and this is what the Polynesians did and do. They had highways going among these islands. So Seastead couldn't happen until it discovered uh, Polynesian traditional knowledge, and now it's integrating. You mentioned about creating this proof of concept first in order, to, in order for people to feel confident in and, you know, in the idea. Um, I noticed that the name changed from floating city project, to the floating island project. Is that part of that? So it's, you know, we had yes. this grand plan. We're going to go straight out with a massive city. Wait a sec, baby steps. Let's start with the island. And then is, is, was that why the name changed? Yes. Uh, we have this great co-founder uh, called uh, Igor Rijakov, and we call him the Oracle. <laughs> and, and because we're committed to uh, decentralization, we have five co-founders. Right. So that means every decision has to be argued. Perfect. And the reason we call him uh, 
the oracle is because we were we were struggling with the, the idea that the floating city scared people. Sea sitters thought it was cool, but once you actually bring it to the, a country, they say, "Oh my God, you're going to build a city, you know, floating in my lagoon. That's going to be <laughs> terrible." It's like, well, it's not actually a city. It's just for 300 people. You know, it'll be a city when it gets out on the high seas. So we were we had all these names, and you know, we were actually in French Polynesia. We had like an hour long argument. We had 50 different names and we did a spreadsheet. We had people voting and ranking and doing all this. And then when, when there was a moment of silence, you know, Igor and his Russian accent just said floating Island. <laughs> and then we were all like, yeah, that that's all we need to say. Exactly. Cause it had everything we were talking about, you know, a city sounds unsustainable. These are actually going to be sustainable. They actually look like islands. Like mm. um, the way they're designed is if you're looking from the beach out at it, it looks like any other Island. It's like a, a grass roofs, so it looks like a floating hobbiton, like from The Hobbit. And as you ride up on your boat, it's like slowly you'll realize, oh, that's not a real island. It has little solar panels on it. And then eventually you get close up and you'll see that it's like people live inside it. So it's going to be, you know, I think beautiful, like something people have never seen before. There's been over a thousand donors um, hundreds of people have volunteered from, you know, marine biologists to engineers to legal. I mean, there's, there's clearly a real hunger and desire. Like, I mean, apart from some of the obvious, like, why do you think that is? Why do you think people are so, I don't know, longing for a different, a different way? Because people are, they want solutions to, to grand challenges and they're frustrated with the traditional systems. And if you say to the world, um, here's a platform it's not just a startup company. It's a startup country, essentially. It's certainly a startup society. It's a, it's, a, it's a platform for legal innovation. You can reform society from the bottom up with your friends in a group of 300. People stampede to you in every industry, whether it's medical research or it's material science or it's algae farming or it's seaweed farming or it's fish farming – or it's anybody that wants to, you know, get outside the existing system and get together with their friends and make something and prove their point to the world. And I've discovered that this is this need to build a society with a few hundred people is latent in everybody who disagrees with this. So I'll, I'll tell you a little story. Perfect. I was I was invited to East Berlin to uh, talk at a at a society. Uh, called, you know, the future of the state. Um, and it was a, a two-day conference where they were giving me an entire day to run uh, a simulation uh, of, of people building their own floating societies. So it was literally um, a bunch of, uh, mostly women signed up for this. It was probably two-thirds women and, and one-third men. And they were going to form five different islands. Imagine a world where it's a floodplain and, you know, uh, it's an apocalypse and society's wiped out and you have to build society from the bottom up and you're going to be in five groups of five people. And then you guys have to work out what the rules are. Right. So I'm like, OK, I'll go and do this all day thing. I don't see how it's going to work. And the day before uh, I was the second day and the first day was all about um, how you solve problems by using the state. Uh, and it was all about, we'll get the government to do this and force those guys to do that. We'll get the German government to tax those people and give that to that. And I was just going, oh, my God, these guys are going to hate me. They're <laughs> going to hate everything I represent. This is going to be terrible. Um, so I, I, I was honored to do this workshop with uh, Rutger de Graff, 
who's the co-founder of Delta Sync and Blue 21, who had the original vision for sustainable, environmentally restorative societies on the sea. So he's featured in the, in the book. He's the first aquapreneur you meet in the book. And in Berlin is where I got to meet him. So we both got to speak for five minutes. Um, he talked about the uh, environmentally restorative aspects of floating societies in a post-apocalyptic world, which is what I prefer not to happen. And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to let him have it. I'm going to get up there for five minutes and lecture them by, by why this won't technically be a government. Because if people can detach and move about, you don't have a monopoly. You will have choice. Um, so you're going to build your society from the ground up. And they were kind of frowning at me. Um, and then, uh, so the job, I'm sorry making this story too long, but Rutgers and my job were supposed to be walking around and coaching people. And I found that for the, the next eight hours, which is how long this workshop went, mm. I didn't say anything. They, on their own initiative, thinking always within their government, once given the opportunity to build a floating society with, with four other people, according to their values, I watched seasteading emerge naturally. They started talking about like, well, you know, we need a platform for the elderly and the kids and how are we going to pay for it? And we need our specialty. So how do we um, trade with the other guys? Uh, will this be one big platform? Well, won't that be unstable in the ways? Maybe we need to make lots of little platforms. And then that means people will choose other societies. And the guys running the conference were giving them assignments like, Okay, what's your national anthem that you sing? What's going to be the name of your state? And these women, on their own initiative, started saying things like, well, we're not going to have a name and we're not going to have an anthem because this isn't actually going to be a state. And I think it's time for us to think outside the box. Uh, this will be a, a voluntary society that people can join and leave as they want. And it was interesting. They had cameras on them and they had peer pressure and they kept holding their ground, saying, this is going to be a new voluntary society. They had never heard of seasteading. They, they didn't really know what the word meant. But I watched the principles of self-organization emerge among the most statist people I'd ever met. And I, I've always wanted to come back and tell this story. I could see, you know, you, you might have heard of Dunbar's number, which is a calculation about the size of the human brain. I was just brain. about to ask, what is it? Is it like it's 270 or 890? I can't remember what the number is. It's like, it's like 150, basically. 150. Yeah. You, you know, Robin Dunbar, he broke into the skulls of 36 species of primate, and he showed there's a tight correlation between the neocortex ratio, which is the ratio of your neocortex to the rest of your brain, and the size of the group you're in. Okay. Human beings have by far the largest neocortex ratio. You can infer from this graph and see where humans would lie that we must have evolved in groups of about 150 people. So we naturally can keep track of the relationships of 150 people without some sort of top-down set of laws. That's the idea. Gotcha. So <clears throat> any more, any more than that, then you need much more structures. You need much more rule-based. But if you keep it under that, then it can be much more organic and actually and thrive if you keep sub 150. Exactly. That's, that's the idea. And the, the first seastead is set up to be about two Dunbar numbers, but it'll be about a dozen islands. So if people don't get along, they will in, technically be able to detach and go somewhere else. Perfect. So there's the potential for people to create these floating communities based on interest. So like rather than our current communities being the result of where somebody happens to be born or your, 
your ethnicity. Um, do you think this idea of building communities based on interest would cause more or less diversity? Maybe it seems like a stupid question, but do you think there's the danger of groupthink? So you know how like on Facebook you create these little echo chambers and where we just assume everyone's liberal, Republican or whatever, like, is there a chance creating more of these echo chambers or how do you view diversity in, in these I care about the diversity of thought, the diversity of solutions, and the diversity of choices. So we get on social media, and there's a tremendous proliferation of choices such that it's very difficult to put people in two groups with regard to movies or with regard to their ice cream choice. We don't have the vanilla party and the chocolate party arguing with each other and unable to imagine what strawberry is. The only place on social media where there's no diversity is in political arguments. And that is true because the because we have these 193 monopolies on government controlling seven and a half billion people. And in, in democracies, people naturally go into two different camps. We're naturally tribal tribal people. So we're unable even thinking of the potential ways that society can organize itself among people with diverse creativity, to think of that as a two-dimensional line along which I can, I can just find out whether you're left or right, green or red, and then I can predict a long list of opinions you must hold. I mean, that is, that is ridiculous. I can't do that in any other endeavor. I only do it in a world where we don't have choice, which is what governance is. So we're forced to team up with our tribes and try to defeat the other tribe. But if you're in a world where there's tens of thousands of little societies and they can, those little societies can engage in all the group think they want. But if other people can choose other societies and some societies secede and some societies, some societies secede, some succeed and some just fail Mm -hmm. all sorts of new ways of uh, us getting along will just emerge naturally. Um, And we won't have these two different tribes arguing between two different philosophies where all the creativity out there is just not presented to us because it can't get through the bottleneck of this political monopoly. And for a a foretaste of this, you know, ride a cruise ship and consider the fact that it's essentially a dictatorship and we don't sit on on the deck arguing about the politics of the cruise ship. The rules simply work out both for the employees and the customers because if you don't like it, you can leave, go somewhere else, and write a negative Yelp review, which is what that governance structure lives in terror of. What if they choose the other cruise line? So that causes them to hustle to please us. You're right. I guess it's just like that sense of rules. So, for example, say you you play a game of basketball. You, you, you don't go onto the pitch and then get really annoyed that you can't uh, like you can't kick the ball. It's just like no, that's just not the rules of basketball. If you want to play that, then go play football. And so right. it's it's it. That seems, I guess, really obvious. And then it comes back to so many people, I guess, feel trapped based on the fact that my passport says British or my passport says whatever your country is. So that's the that's the the rules you've got to stick with. And so this is going to create so much, so much more choice. Yes, that's uh, you know, sports is a beautiful analogy that I never thought of before because sports evolves. Uh, and you guys might like cricket. I'm not sure what you like. And and where I am, we like baseball. But they've obviously evolved from each other. Somebody went off and tried something else. So if I want to join a cricket match, 
I, I agree to the rules before I join. And then we're going to play by these rules. And then I think it's stupid and I have a better idea. So I'm going to go set up baseball and try to develop a different set of rules. And we, we're not in a system where everybody has to play either rugby or, or American football. And then the whole world, ha, you know, everyone involved with these sports has to fight it out. And every four years we vote on the game that everybody has to play. <laughs> That's the situation we're in with governance, and governance is way more um, important than sports. I like that. There's a great little video. I can, um, I'll chuck it below this interview on, um, on if you go to spiritpig.com, on, underneath the, um, the interview, I'll chuck this video as well. It was one on, um, BBC. Um, I think it was BBC Ideas, and it was just a two minute video that you, um, that you narrated. And it, it, was, it was fascinating. It said lots of great stuff. But one of the things, I think it was that video, where you were saying, actually, refugees were going to be some of the first people to join some of these seasteads. Why is that? So Gallup ran a poll back in 2009, uh, where through very uh, complex uh, mathematical processes, they determined uh, in 2009 that 700 million people around the world say they want to leave their countries permanently and go to a better place. That's how screwed up the lower half of governments are in the world. That is not counting people who say, I want to leave temporarily, make some money and come back. It's the people who say, get me out of here. I'll do anything to get out of Yemen. <laughs> I want to go somewhere else. Shout out to all my Yemen listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing you, you probably have a bunch. So um, you can think of the, the richer nation states as gated communities shutting these people out. Uh, and we're having refugee crises um, around the world as 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 governments descend into madness and people have no place to go, and they're they're jumping in little boats and paddling anywhere. Um, a, a, an Egyptian billionaire offered to buy islands from Greece and Italy to give these people a place to go, buy islands that aren't uh, that nobody lives on, and those countries said no. Um, so seasteaders want to actually provide places for these people. So if Ricardo Radulovich, the seaweed farmer I feature in the seasteading book, if he gets his way and mass farms the oceans with uh, seaweed-based food, uh, who's going to go take those jobs? I'm not. I'm living in a rich country. I think uh, people, the type of people who take jobs on cruise ships, like from Indonesia or a developing country, or people who want to get out of anywhere and go to a better place that offers them better wages – will gladly go to these floating societies. And as we know, immigrants move to a better society within a generation. They're the entrepreneurs and innovators of that society. What does a fulfilled life mean to you? A fulfilled, I, I am in a very fortunate position because I have uh, ascended up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, I got a nice marriage, I got nice friends, I have a meaningful life. And, and so I, I, I got a lot, very, very fortunate. Uh, and I find myself naturally gravitating towards being preoccupied with how to make the world a better place and uh, solve deep challenges. Um, I don't care if, if uh, I'm not able to signal my virtue. For every person I, I seduce about seasteading, there's a hundred more people that get angry and don't like me. I'm old enough that I don't care. So a fulfilled life is, is working 
the deepest human need is, is not for money or power or sex or fame. The deepest human need is to belong. People want to participate in a community to create something meaningful that's more important than themselves. Tribal people, they may like to argue with each other, but this is fundamentally what we want. And we're not getting it by voting and engaging in politics. It's just making us fight. But if you're in a small community where your voice among your 150 people actually matters and you actually can reach agreements with other people that will actually matter to, the, to the, your society, that is a deep source of meaning that I think is just biological in people. And I think seasteading will unleash this need in people. It's a technology for meaning, for people to find their own meaning. We'll provide the platform. You bring the app of your society. You do it with your allies. And if I can, if I can die feeling like I've unleashed people from the monopoly of their governments, which alienate them, and give them the possibility to create better societies, I will die a happy man and feel like I lived a fulfilled life. Well said. What is one thing our listeners can start doing today that have a positive impact on their lives? Stop arguing and start seasteading. Um, just we don't need to fight with other people to create a better world. Get involved with the startup societies uh, movement. Uh, a, a wing of that is seasteading, which is an actual technology to found new societies. Half the world's surface is unclaimed by any existing nation state. And if you can create something new among your friends, all the mental energy you put into politics and being angry can be put into creating. Michelangelo called upon us to criticize by creating. And I think we should all heed that call and get on it. Quick thing on that word, claimed. So all land on Earth is already claimed, making the oceans humanity's next frontier. That word claimed, though, do you think, is there a chance that we could be setting ourselves up for more conflicts. Is there like, you know how people are talking about, be it Mars, be it the oceans, the second there's like territory to be claimed. I mean, is there any, is there any, the simple fact that it's not grounded and it's floating, then I'm guessing probably not. But is there ever any worry of people trying to be like, push their weight around and say, this is our area, that's yours? Yes. Um, the first page of, of the seasteading book addresses this very issue. So human nature is human nature. We like power. We like to control other people. If we can get it, we'll, we'll claim it. And there's, there's, there's always bad people trying to ascend to the top of hierarchies and claim other people. We have a very ancient governance structure based on monopoly control of land. Land has always been the source of wealth, the source of power. And if you can fight wars over control of land, the people who control the people in it, you have this permanent tax form that you can just leech from. And this is a very old system. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it's not relevant to a 21st century uh, world where we're getting so decentralized and there's so much diversity. So Patry Friedman, my co-author, his insight was if you founded society on the water and if land was modular and you could actually detach it and move about and people who weren't happy could move elsewhere, and people who wanted to gain power in one place would be hard, have a hard time getting a foothold in that because people can detach and move elsewhere if they don't like it. You would break up this monopoly on land, which is the source of uh, a monopoly on power over people, which is a source of corruption. And so the basic idea is we founded civilization in the wrong place. 
we should have founded it on two thirds of the Earth's surface on planet Ocean instead of this meager little spot on Earth where we have to fight it out for control. So the idea is on the water where you float, where land is modular, disassemblable, monopolies of governance wouldn't arise. Joe, where can people find out more? Where should we send them? What, what websites? What, what resources? If you want to find out more, go to seasteading.org. If you want a comprehensive uh, view of how all your questions answered, uh, check out the book, Seasteading. And if you want to join the first seasteading community, uh, go to blue-frontiers.com, which is the uh, first seasteading company that plans to have one of these available for you by 2022. Not long. Joe, it's been really, really interesting. It's sort of, uh, yeah, I've had a lot of my questions answered and I'm going to be, I'm going to be continuing and be watching with interest. So thanks for doing what you're doing. And it's, uh, super exciting. Like I, it, it does feel like it's on the cusp of something really exciting and being, being one of the leaders of this whole movement. It's, um, yeah, exciting times just to watch it. So I can't imagine what it's like for you. So thanks for coming on and sharing all this information of our audience. Thanks. And I appreciate your questions brought out the best in me. It was a very gratifying interview. I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful.